Okay. Everyone got someone else's paper? Okay. Um, put your initials at the bottom or your name at the bottom to help me uh, know who graded in case I need to come back and ask questions. Number one, true or false, because the Holy Spirit is a force from God likened to electricity flowing through power lines, we should not consider the Holy Spirit to be a person in the same way we would consider Jesus a person. True or false? That is false. I'm sorry. He's getting ready to argue. No, ignore me. There's something down here that I... False, false. The, the whole analogy of Jesus, I mean, of the spirit-like power through power lines is a Jehovah's Witness uh, analogy that they use. Um, that is not correct. We talked a lot about the personality of the spirit. And so um, I tried to make a very long truth or false, true or false statement that was indeed false to see if anyone would fall for a very long true or false statement. So. Did you know it? Did you notice how long it took me? It's because it was long. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think, think about, about it. I was, like, word. I was like, it's got to be true. Wait, no. Wait, yeah. no, I can't be clear. Yeah. Number two. What does the Greek word pneuma or pneuma from pneumatology mean? Okay. So I, there are three possible answers here. And if you get... Uh, do we need more? Okay. No, there's a, there's We've got a couple more. If you get one, that's correct. If you get two, that is correct. If you get all three, that's plus one. You get you get an extra. Like, oh, I should have written all of them. I knew. It's just it's just going to it is going to give a pat on the back to those people who are having a little extra initiative. So, what did you get? What did you get? Anybody? What did you have? Wind, spirit, breath. Wind, spirit, or breath. Yeah, those are the three. And so and one because you know <laughs> it's only one. It line. said, "What does the Greek word?" Yeah, yeah. There was but, really space for Kevin all of and us together. Listen, <laughs> extra credit is not deserved by anyone. It is it is given freely by the teacher. So you should not be upset. Yes. You may not combine your tests. I said spirit wind. He said spirit breath. No, you just get one point if you said two of three. It's just one point. If you say all three, you'll get an extra little one plus one at the top, okay? Tiny plus one. Tiny plus one. At what, at what point do believers receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? At conversion or accepting Christ or salvation. Any of those will be acceptable. Anybody have something else? What is the difference between the Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit? Nothing. Nothing. I gave you an extra line just to write none. That was another little bit of deception there. Right? What is the term? Yes, indeed. What does the term regenerate mean? I asked you this last time and almost nobody got it. Did anybody get it this time? Born again. There we go. We are learning. That's good. According to the book, sin against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin is the same as... You can't answer this one either, Hudson. That's wrong, then. Mark it wrong. Mark it wrong. There's so many. I see each other. Is it bad formatting? Is it bad formatting? I'm sorry. Is it my fault? Okay. Okay. True or false? Shh. You guys are really punchy today. I don't know what's going on. According to the book, the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin is the same as unbelief. False. Okay. It's not. According to the book, sin against the Holy Spirit is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is calling the work of the Spirit, the work of Satan, uh, while seeing the evidence of Christ's work in person. Um, number seven, uh, which of the following is not a representation of the Holy Spirit in the Bible? I just mixed up the order a little bit. And the answer is wheat. Wheat. C. Wheat. Number eight, multiple choice. Which of the following blessings of the Spirit on a believer's life is conditional? This is a trickier one. It's probably the hardest one on the quiz. It's the filling of the Spirit. It is the filling. The baptism and dwelling are both at conversion. It's the filling which is conditional upon your submission to the, the, as in living in governance of the Spirit, living in obedience to the Spirit. Oh, this might be the hardest one. I don't know. Multiple choice. According to ends, which of the following gifts of the Spirit apply to believers today and not just to believers at the time of Christ before the completed Word of God? Select all that apply. Okay, so the easiest way to do this is to go through and say which one of these, which ones of these do not apply in the modern era? Uh, but what, what did y'all choose? And then you just eliminate those and the rest would. So what, is the, what are the answers here? What do you guys have? 
A, correct? B, C, D, no. Do you know? Because knowledge here, according to the book, had to do with special knowledge from God. Again, this is according to the book, according to ends. Okay. Exhortation. Oh, wait, I skipped. Faith. Faith, yes. Because he said you can have faith like George Mueller, faith like Adoniram Judson, William Carey. Um, ex- yeah, I actually didn't mention William Carey, but I mentioned William Carey in the notes. Exhortation. Yes. Discerning spirits. No. Interpretation of tongues. No. Pastor, teacher? Let's hope so. <laughs> Answer is yes. So it's A, B, C, E, F, and I. So it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So each one of those is half point. Um, and so it's, it's like, hold on, we have 9 plus 6 uh, plus 10. So I should have 15 points. That's what I have at the top. So out of 15... And if you had that little extra bonus point, congratulations. All right, any questions on the quiz? Okay, pass them in if you are okay with how it turned out, or even if you're not. Okay, let's talk about, I think we left off at number seven, baptism of the Spirit. Is that right? Is that where we left off? Is that what you guys had? Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so, we're going to go through some of this quickly, some of this more slowly. Um, hopefully, we'll cover the rest of the spirit today. But I, I have a question before we go any further. Any interesting observations from your papers? Or should we wait till next week when I've had a chance to actually read them? Anything you want to share that you learned? In writing. Okay, no, we'll talk about it next week. I would, I would like, I want to read your papers and say, you know, see what you came up with, and then we'll, I'll have a better idea of what to, what to, t- what to discuss. Okay, let's talk about the baptism of the work, baptism work of the Holy Spirit. So, baptizing. When we talk about baptism. Um, uh, what does baptism mean? In the Bible, um, in, in our culture context, when you think of the word baptism, if I just say that word, what comes into your mind? Going down in the water. Going into the water, submersion. Okay, good. A lot of people um, don't grow up in the context of, of immersion. They grow up in a context of sprinkling. So that is not biblical baptism is complete immersion. And that's the idea also of the spirit baptism. It's also very much identified with identity. So you're being identified with someone. It is, it is identity, being identified, being baptized with Jesus, being baptized into his death, being baptized by the, in the spirit. has this idea of being enveloped by the spirit and identified with the spirit, etc. And we'll see some of that here. And what, what the definition of the book gives, which I think is good, is, this, is it calls the baptism work of the spirit, that work whereby the spirit places the believer into union with Christ and into union with other believers in the body of Christ. So, 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to be talking, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 a lot. Also, we're going to be in um, Romans 12 a lot at the end here. Um, but this, it would help you to have these passages out on your Bible so you can see the context. This is, um, 1 Corinthians 12 is a very important chapter when it comes to spiritual Things. In fact, if you look at the first line in 1 Corinthians 12, what does it say? Concerning spiritual gifts. Okay, the word gifts. What do you notice about that word in your translation there? It's italicized, which means what? It's not in the original. It is added for clarity. So literally it says now concerning spiritual. You could just as easily say now concerning spiritual things. And he's going to go through and he's going to talk about the spirit throughout chapter 12, but specifically spiritual gifts. And so that's why most translations put that word gifts in there, because it's mostly about spiritual gifts. But it is about the spiritual things. And then in chapter 13, you'll notice how he ends chapter 12. I will show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is living by love. So even the gifts of the Spirit, he talks about tongues, etc., being a 
lesser gift, which we'll talk about later. But 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. The idea of one body being the church united together, despite the fact that we're from different backgrounds. We can be Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, not a slave, you know, a master. You can have um, different cultures. You think the cultural dynamics in today's world are bad? You think that the people today don't get along in different races or different ethnicities? It's nothing compared to the old days. Nothing compared to the hostility that was between people groups in this time. It's so weird that the church was an amalgamation of all these different nationalities, all these different socioeconomic levels, all worshiping together. That is a weird thing. In fact, the closest that, that was, uh, you know, even it, it, that's part of um, it, it is going to sound kind of funny, but like even the idea of America being a country whereby people come from different cultural backgrounds, different nations, different peoples and join themselves to that. That is a very kind of Christian idea. That is not something most of the world is ethnocentric. It is from our people, from our family, from our nation. And the nations are very homogenous. They're all the same color. They're the same background with the same names, you know. And, and, but the church is, is, is one body. And what makes us a family is the fact that we're baptized into this family. We're made part of this one body because we have this one spirit. So if you look at the explanation here, the baptism of the spirit is unique to the church age. This is unique to the church age. The nation of Israel is not the church. Okay, I'm going to say this again. The nation of Israel is not the church. There are two distinct movements in God's program. And you have to understand that or else you'll get really confused when you read the Old Testament and you try to apply things cross-testamental, cross-testaments. Uh, cross the ministry of the Spirit, like in this, in this aspect, began at Pentecost. This did not happen in the Old Testament. So... The baptism of the Spirit is something that's unique. Also, the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes all believers in this age. Notice, we are all baptized into one body. We are all baptized. It's not something that is just certain people. It's not just pastors. It's not just um, whatever, certain uh, uh, denomination. It's all people who are united with Christ are baptized by the Spirit. If you keep going, um, number three, the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings believers into union with other believers in the body of Christ. So there are no distinctions. You look at that verse again from verse 13 of chapter 12. He says there are, uh, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Your two, big, your two big denominations in culture were your Jews from the Jewish perspective. Okay, we're Jews and Greeks. Jews and, and um, non-Jews. So the, the pagans or the, 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 hell, the, uh, the Greeks... And the Jews, the Gentiles and the Jews. But also in the culture, in the Roman context, do we need another um, uh, outline? Or thing? Okay. Would be the uh, idea of slave and free. That one person had freedom, one person did not. One person was able to vote, another person was not. Baptism of the Holy Spirit belong, brings believers into union with Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 6, a very important chapter dealing with the baptism of uh, of the Spirit says, do you not know as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So we have been united in the likeness of his death. We'll be united with the likeness of his resurrection. We're united with other believers by the Spirit. We're united with Christ by the Spirit. And it is not experimental. In other words, this work is done to the believer, not by the believer. And it is final. It is not something that must well, we'll see how it works out, whether or not you're really a good Christian, and then you'll be baptized by the believer, by the, by the Spirit. No, this happens at conversion. And it's performed by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, by one Spirit, with the Spirit, Acts 1, 5. He is the agent of the baptism. He is baptizing us in the Spirit, by the Spirit. Okay. We are baptized by the Spirit. All right. Make sense a little bit? Kind of get that picture? The baptizing work of the Spirit. Okay. He is more like the pastor doing the baptism than he is like the water in which you were baptized, if that makes sense. He is the agent of the baptism. He is not the substance into which you are baptized. Does that make sense? This is going to become, these kind of details will become 
even more important as we go into the dwelling of the spirit. I mean, not the dwelling, the, um, the control of the spirit later. Pastor, would the substance of the water be Christ then? Because we are in Christ. He is in yeah, that's, that's a good, or in, we're, we're united with Christ in the baptism. We're united also with the church, with other believers, and being united in one body. Mm-hmm. In baptism, yeah. So there is this uh, union that takes place. That's why we don't. You cannot join our church unless you are baptized. Um, it's also why we do not uh, allow. We we ask people not take the Lord's Supper unless they're baptized believers, uh, because that in- means their inclusion in the body of Christ. And there, you know, the baptism doesn't itself save you, but it is an important act of obedience. Water baptism signifies that. Uh, the spirit baptism happens at conversion. But the water baptism signifies it is an obedient step, that public demonstration of what's happening privately inside your heart. Yeah, it does not. Uh, we don't believe that it imparts grace to you, as some religions do. It's some sort of what they call a, 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 a what's the word? Um, man, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, no, there's. Um, oh, it's terrible. I should know this. It's just late. I, I have, I'm sorry. I'm drawing blanks. Um, but there are uh, there are ways in which the 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 the, the, the baptism that we involve where we do is a picture. It is not does not impart grace to us in any way, or, or it's improve our standing with God. Sacrament. Sacraments. That's the word. Yeah, the sacraments. Is, Catholics believe in sacraments that sacraments, that impart grace to you. The Catholic view, yeah, believe that that, that 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 people have grace in them, and that grace can then be imparted to others. So the saints had more than enough grace, and so that you pray to the saints, they can give you some of their grace too. I mean, it's, it's not biblical at all. But we're not going to get too much caught in that. Let's keep ca- talking about the indwelling of the Spirit, if you would, number eight, so I can get through this. Um, first, the fact of the indwelling. Uh, Jesus promises the indwelling. This is the key verse, John 14, 16. You can leave your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to come back to it. But in John 14, he says, I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper. The word helper there is what? Do you all know? Yes. Good job. Helper. Also, comforter, depending on your translation, is parakletos, okay? One who comes alongside, okay? To exhort is to parakaleo, to encourage. So he is the one who indwells. The Holy Spirit is a gift. That's your first number one. The Holy Spirit is a gift. There are no conditions attached to the gift of the Spirit except faith in Christ, Okay, there is no, there is no like, well, you got to be a good Christian before you receive the gift of the Spirit. No, if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, said, I love this from John 7. Jesus makes this promise. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, stop for a second. Does this remind you of any Old Testament passages? Isaiah. Isaiah what? Um, I don't know, but if you don't have money, you can still come and buy. You're right. What, what, you know what, what chapter? Know what verse Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come buy and eat. Come buy and w- buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And um, uh, whatever. That, that, yes, he says, come to the waters. Come and drink freely without cost, without price. And here Jesus is echoing that. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the what? The spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So after Jesus was glorified, after Pentecost, those who believe in Jesus have the spirit of God in them, flowing out of them, doing good works through the spirit. It's part of the promise of the Spirit. It's great. Number two, the Holy Spirit is given at salvation or at conversion. Notice Ephesians 1.13. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's called a conditional that states, when you believe, having believed, then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise upon having believed. He said, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That is a rhetorical question, which the answer is what? You, re- you receive the Spirit by faith. You don't receive the Spirit 
by works, so then why are you perfected? He's saying by works, not by faith. person who does not possess the Spirit of God is an unbeliever. Romans 8 says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, which is the same as the Spirit of God, which is the same as the Holy Spirit, he is not his. In other words, if you do not have the Spirit, you do not belong to God. So do not fall into this trap some people set, which says you have to get saved, then you have to ask for the Spirit to overcome you or to be indwelled by the Spirit, or you have to have a second blessing of the Spirit or something like that. Unbiblical. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. Okay, so that's what he's saying there. If if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. He does not belong to him. Look at number three. The Holy Spirit even indwells carnal believers. Carnal means fleshly. And normally, carnal and spiritual are sit as opposites. So, carnal and spiritual are opposites when it comes to the walk of a Christian life. Um, the word carnal is the word, um, well, in Greek, it's sarx. So, it's like this. And the word spiritual is what? Pneuma, right? And what happened here is it's, um, I'm just going to do this. Sarkikos versus pneumatic, uh, pneumaticos, I think is how, how it goes. This idea on the ending is saying fleshly, like fleshly or spiritual. This idea of, are you governed by the flesh or are you governed by the spirit? They're parallels. Uh, they're, 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 they're linguistic parallels. They are, they're, they're, they're drawn as contrasts. Contrast is made better word than parallel. But you'll notice what he says here in this verse. Do you not know, look at verse 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Now, who are the Corinthian people? What do you know about the Corinthians? It's like Vegas. It's like Vegas, right? That's, that's awesome, yes. It's like Vegas. It's like New Orleans. It's like America. <laughs> it's gross moral failure, right? Gross moral failure. Sexual immorality is everywhere and debauchery. And they are still told by Paul, do you not know your body? In fact, that's the reason he tells them they should not be doing what they're doing. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are being indwelled. Even when you are a Christian who is running away from God and involved in all kinds of immoralities and debaucheries, you are still indwelt by the Spirit of God. Okay? Does not take that away. The Spirit indwells believers permanently. Is number four, the indwelling is a down payment for future glorification. It's a, it is a seal, it is a, um, a promise, it is a deposit in a sense. He sealed us and given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1.22, there's our word guarantee or deposit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now there are a couple problems related to indwelling that we need to... Um, uh, address here. Number one is Psalm 51:11. David's prayer seems to claim that the Holy Spirit can be taken away from someone. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. But remember, this is prior to the New Testament. So that is not something you have to worry about as a New Testament believer. That is not something. What did we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Do you remember this? We talked about this last time. Selective and temporary. It's selective and temporary. Good, good memory, right? It was something that God did at specific times to accomplish a specific task. The person didn't even need to be a believer to be... Remember, Balaam had the Spirit of God on him. Saul had the Spirit of God come on him, and then the Spirit of God was removed from him. So this was something that happened in the Old Testament, selective and temporary for a task. And the New Testament is different. Peter, in in, in Acts 5.32, uses... It says, obey as a synonym synonym here. Let me look this up. Acts... I can't remember... uh, he says, we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So he's saying those who believe him is, is, the, is his synonym here. John three thirty six 36 uh, would be a parallel here. Um, 
So it's not talking about if you, if you disobey God, you no longer have the Spirit. In Acts 8, this is not a normative act, but transitional from the law to grace. This is when the, they went and gave the, the Spirit by laying on of hands uh, through the apostles. Okay? That is the indwelling of the Spirit. Let's talk about sealing in, verse, in, in uh, chapter 9, if you would. Um, we also have the sealing of the Spirit, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The seal, what is a seal? Do you guys have a concept of what a seal is in the old days? We don't use them today. Wax seal. So have, usually uh, this time it was a cylinder, um, about this big. And uh, you would take candle wax, you'd, uh, you would fold your paper like this, or you'd roll it more likely, and then you'd drip, you'd drip some wax right on the, right on the uh, seam here. And uh, then you'd take that uh, thing and you'd roll it over, and it would leave an impression. On the, uh, on the wax. That's how a lot of them was done. We're done. And so that mark, if I got that, I, I knew, you know, Charles's mark, uh, and I knew what it looked like, and so I knew it came from him. It authenticated the mark. It authenticated the letter. I knew who it was from, what the purpose of the letter from, so it was used to authenticate a document, to authenticate transfer of power. So if a, uh, often documents were sealed for um, leaders tra- to transition, um, as a lock to secure something. So if I got a letter from Charles and the seal was broken, what can I assume? Somebody tampered with it, right? Somebody read it. Uh, today we have those things where you, you fold it, you know, and you rip it on the side, you fold it on the sides, you rip it, then you can open it up, it tells you how much money you owe the government. Well, um, those, those are tamper-proof, right? You know if somebody's been looking inside your mail. It's the same kind of thing. Here, and then lastly, to verify a document. It, it shows that it is who it belongs to. So all those analogies... Can kind of roll into this meaning of sealing it with the spirit, uh, but the primary idea of sealing is that of ownership. There's your blank ownership. The Holy Spirit Himself is our seal. Uh, you may not have it. I thought you had a blank there, so sorry. Um, the permanent sealing in uh, Ephesians four is ownership and security. Ownership and security. He has sealed us and given us the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. I meant to put that in your notes, but I forgot. Um, It says, Do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Other questions before we go into new material? I handed this out just now, so chapter 10. Ownership and security. Ownership and security. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit and... Grieving the Holy Spirit. Different? Different things. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I think we do talk about grieving the Spirit today. I think that's at the very end. Yeah. Uh, 10.1. The definition of the Holy Spirit's gifts. Okay, so pneumaticos, which is uh, what I just said here, um, is the spiritual things. Being spiritual or things pertaining to the Spirit. These are the supernatural things given to people who are believers. Look at chat, You can now open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12 because we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 a lot. Verse 11 says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So the Spirit, as He desires, distributes gifts to the church. So we have this word, spiritual things. That's our first word, pneumaticos. I tried to give you the English Letters there if you wanted to see it as well. And the second one is charisma, or a freely bestowed gift. This is where our our charismatic movement comes from. Charisma, the word gift here. Um, The word charisma emphasizes that a spiritual gift is a gift of God's grace. It is not a naturally developed ability, but rather a gift bestowed on a believer. This is important. Okay, Um, They're not just natural abilities. This is God giving you a spiritual gift. There are verse diversities of gifts, charismatone, but the same spirit, verse 4. William McRae calls spiritual gifts a divine endowment of a special ability for service upon a member of the body of Christ. Go to Romans, or let's read 1 Corinthians 12, then I want to read Romans 12. So open your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read this, and I want you to just absorb it. And then we'll go through the material, because I think we've got to go to the Word here, and this is... Two very concentrated parts of Scripture deal with this issue. 
Paul begins in verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles. Carried, he's speaking there figuratively. Gentiles, because some were Jews, but they were not believers. You were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The key here is where they stand on Jesus. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation or the revealing of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of the tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the one body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the hand to, or head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, so that there should be no schism or schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for each other. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he begins to talk about love. So you see the picture? The picture of the body being bestowed with different gifts by the Spirit for the Spirit's purpose, for the building up of the body, for the edification of the body, so that in Christ, Christ might be honored in all. You see that? Go to Romans 12. This one's shorter. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For this I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. There it is again, God dealing to each one. God is the one who's distributing. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then the rest, we could stop right there. So that is our foundation as we go into the gifts of the Spirit. We have to understand the context, the purpose for the gifts. Um, 
What is the explanation of a gift? A spiritual gift is an individual, uh, to an individual is God's enablement for personal spiritual service. Okay? And the spiritual gift to the church is a person uniquely equipped for a church's edification and maturation. Okay, the church is desiring that the purpose of spiritual gifts are to build up the church. This is really important that, that we, without a church, you cannot exercise your spiritual gift properly. So if you're a television preacher or radio preacher, and all you're doing is going out there and preaching to people who are not your church, you're missing something. If you're like, why? Well, I, I serve, but I serve at Salvation Army. Well, if, the, biblically, the where you use your spiritual gift is for the goal, for the building up of the church. Not, I mean, it's fine to use your gifts elsewhere, but spiritual gifts are for the church. Um, and I don't just say that because I'm a pastor. I, uh, the Bible is very clear on that. And you're missing something if you don't understand that you should be using your gifts in the church. So what is a spiritual gift not? It is not a place of service. So uh, it makes a point of this, and I thought this was well said, that you know your gift is not children's ministry or college ministry or Rock Hill. You know, my gift is, you know, whatever. Uh, your gift is not an age group, like I said, children's ministry. Um, it is not the same as natural talent. We're talking about God's enabling power. God's special enabling to do a spiritual work. So some of the gifts that he describes, apostle is the first one. Uh, Ephesians 4, he gave some apostles. Apostle means one who is sent from another, one who is sent from another. In a technical sense, is limited to the 12 who had the office of apostle as the gift. In that sense, it was a foundational gift for the formation of the church. So when the formation of the church was laid, the foundation of the church was laid, the need for the gift ceased. Okay. Uh, several reasons for this. Uh, apostles were representatives of Christ who had authority in the earthly church. Apostles performed signs, wonders, and miracles. Apostles are witnesses of the resurrected Lord. Apostles were given to the church only at the beginning. Apostles received direct revelation from God. Apostles were not expected after Paul. So if you go down the road and you see a sign on the road that says, Church such and such, Apostle Ron. There used to be a church in Greenville with Apostle Ron. Um, and and uh, uh, I'm sorry, he's not an apostle. It almost always seems to lead to a cult. It does, because what apostles are assuming is that they have direct revelation from God. Um, this is called continuing revelation. This is not a bibliology class, but it is connected because we're talking about the Spirit. But... Continuation. Continuationism, continuing revelation, believes that the word is not sufficient, that you have to have extra words from God. So what that looks like is people coming up to you and saying, I have a word from the Lord for you. And if someone ever says that, you know what I ask them? Chapter and verse, please. <laughs> you know, I don't mind if you say I have a word for the Lord, uh, from the Lord for you, you know, and it's like an encouraging word from the scripture. Oh, that's a little weird, but like... Um, that is a word from the Lord. Uh, it might not apply to my situation. The context might be bad, but um, there's, that, there's that funny story of the pastor. This is off topic. There's a pastor who said that, like, he, he, he said uh, he was born in, like, 1950-something. He said, so I went to Matthew 1950-something, and that was my verse. And I went and looked, and it said, the Lord hath need of him. And that's my life verse. The Lord has need of me, and the Lord has need of you. Well, if you look at the context of that verse, it's about the donkey. <laughs> Jesus says, go, go tell him the master has need of him. And he's talking about the donkey for, for going in on the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the triumphal entry. So, sidetrack side there. But. So, did you become a Democrat? I, I don't know, right? right? Probably, probably not. Um, but, uh, but this is important that, that uh, as we see, some of these gifts are prior to the completion of the canon, and some of these gifts are post-creation of the, or post the, uh, the, the, once we have the completed word, the, the need for revelatory gifts is no more because we have the complete word of God. So prophet is one of those, right? We have uh, gifts here, prophet. Um, in fact, in the, old, in the New Testament, as well as the Old, uh, defined here, a, pro, a prophet proclaimed divine revelation, pro, pro, prophetically revealed what was hidden and foretold the future. Um, 
one thing you have to understand about prophets is that they did far more preaching than they did predicting. Okay. Read the Old Testament prophets and tell me how many predictions you see. There really aren't that many. They're always in service to something else. In fact, it feels like sometimes they hesitate to give signs. Now, Daniel gives some visions and Ezekiel has a lot of visions and Isaiah has a lot of stuff in there about the, um, about the coming Christ, but a lot of it is just preaching. So preaching for God, speaking for God. And, and we call our preaching ministry, there is a sense in which it is prophetic, in which you are preaching what God says. You're saying, thus says the Lord. And it doesn't come from my authority, but my, my prophetic, when I preach or when anyone preaches, the only authority that's there is the authority that's in the word of God. The minute I stray from that authority, if I say something that's not, inconsist- that's not consistent with God's word, it is not binding on you. It is not authoritative. It's only as authoritative as God's word, as I am consistent with God's word. But here, this prophetic ministry is specifically talking about people who had words from God. So the examples are like Agabus, uh, A-G-A-B-U-S. It's one of your uh, blanks there. He's a character who shows up a couple times in the book of Acts, or he's a man who shows up a couple times in the book of Acts, and he gives prophetic visions to Paul about what's going to happen. He says, he binds him, remember, he says, uh, you're going to go and get bound, okay? Also, in 1 Corinthians 13, this picture of one who understands all mysteries, possibly prophet there. <clears throat> and uh, Deuteronomy 18, I'm not going to go through the whole details there, but the Bible demands accuracy from prophets. If you claim to be a prophet and claim to have prophetic uh, vision about the future and you're wrong, guess what? How many times do you have to be wrong to be a false prophet? One time. Okay. Um, miracles. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, the working of miracles. Again, the purpose of miracles, uh, miracles are never done randomly. In fact, if you look at the three eras in which miracles were done, they were done in the days of Moses. Things like the plagues, the dividing of the Red Sea. You could even push that into the days of Joshua, Moses and Joshua. So like the sun standing still, the hail uh, killing the enemies, uh, stuff like that. Days of Elijah and Elisha, so you have fire from down from heaven. You have the little widow woman um, in the meal. You have the floating axe head. You have the bears and the mob of young men. You have all these different, um, and then and then Elijah and Elisha. Have you ever wondered why when Nehemiah was building the the walls, they didn't just have a miraculous building of the wall, say hocus pocus, and then boom, the walls built? Didn't happen. Or, what's another example? Um, they're, they're, uh, they're in Babylon, and God just, well, I'm, I, that's a good enough example, I guess. But like um, the picture is that there are only a few times, and they're always in service to another point, which is, which is important because when Jesus, and he makes a big, good point of this in the book, if, if, if they were not, it, what's the purpose of miracles is not primarily to relieve people from pain and suffering. It's primarily a sign and authentication of, of ministry. If it was just to relieve people from pain and suffering, if that was the main purpose of Jesus' miracles, then why did Jesus do anything but miracles? Why didn't he just go around and heal everyone he touched? Why didn't he heal everyone in the whole nation? He didn't heal everybody. And the reason he didn't was because he healed people to, to do something. Like One of my favorite stories is in Luke 8. Luke 8 tells the story of Jairus. And Jairus' daughter, and the woman with the issue of blood. And he heals both of them. The woman with the issue of blood, do you all remember her, her personality with Jesus? Like, how did she approach Jesus? She touches the hem of his garment in the crowd. Right. And he didn't even know right away. She comes up from behind him. Yeah. So there's a big crowd around him, and she is embarrassed by her physical condition. She is unclean because of her hemorrhage. And so she is... She is desperate, but she is also very shy and embarrassed. And so she comes up behind Jesus and she touches the hem of his garment. What does Jesus do when she touches his garment? She, he says what? Do you remember? Who touched me? And Peter's like, Lord, you're in a crowd. Who hasn't touched you? And he says, no, I felt power going for me. Someone touched me. He demands that she come in front of him and declare what she has done. Okay. He pulls her from out of the shadows and makes her 
stand up front. She wanted to hide. He wouldn't let her. Jairus, how does he come to Jesus in that same story? Comes right to his face. Ask Jesus to go heal his. And what does Jesus do? He, well, first he ignores it. Who touched me? Who t- it interrupts the story of Jairus. Jairus is like, Lord, right now I have this, you know, my daughter, she's 12 years old and she better. And Jesus is like, hey, hang on, something happened. You know, and he deals with this woman. He pulls her up front and Jairus is like, what's happening? He's ignored. And then finally, Jesus says, yeah, go ahead. I mean, oh, then the, don't they, come, they come and they say, she's, uh, she's already gone. She's already dead. And so he says, well, thanks a lot, Jesus. So, so Jesus deals with these people. He, he, he makes the person who is bold wait. And he makes the person who is shy be bold. You see how Jesus in his miracles is not just willy-nilly healing people. He's doing things for, for a reason. And that's, that's important for us to understand. So miracles, what's that? He pulls one up. And... Yeah, and puts one down. And, he, and he's doing this because that's what they needed in those, in those moments to, for their faith, right? And so the point I'm making is that the fact that gifts and miracles have ceased does not mean that miracles can't happen. God still performs miracles, but miracles are not just like, you have a headache, so let me heal your headache. Like, God doesn't want you to have headaches. That is not the point of miracles. Jesus did not always heal everyone, right? Lazarus still died a second time. You know, there, there, are, there are reasons Jesus did the things he did. Healing, um, same here, gifts of healings, aspects of healings, instantaneous, complete, permanent, limited, unconditional, purposeful. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't quite understand a couple of his points here, so I didn't include the last one. I didn't understand what it meant. Be completely honest and limited. I was all but unsure. I guess he was saying it was like physical, not always everything about the person was healed, just a particular part of them was healed. So if they had leprosy plus of something else, they were just healed of the leprosy. I, I don't know. So you can read that and make make a dis- that, that might have gotten by the editors a little bit, slipped by the editors a little bit. I thought it was a little sloppy, but whatever. I saw a typo in there, but I didn't. Oh, did you? You should circle it and send it to the Moody. Um, tongues here, or Dallas, whoever publishes this thing. I think it's Moody, right? Yeah. Um, tongues, uh, varieties of tongues here. Biblical tongues, oh, I want to get through this, are known human languages. They are not jibber-jabber. Okay? We're talking about known human languages. Tongues are still a lesser gift, and tongues were a part of the miraculous era of Christ and the apostles. The interpretation of tongues is number six there. Um, the evangelism is number seven. Evangelism, the good news, is the news that Jesus saves. It involves the burden for the lost, proclaiming the good news, etc. Notice this gifting for certain individuals does not exempt all believers from the responsibility to do the work of the evangelist. I don't know if you have that blank or not, but above... At the very bottom of number seven there, it does not exempt us from doing the work of the evangelist. You can't say, well, I don't have the gift of the evangelist, so I don't have to evangelize. No, you have to still evangelize. Some people are just really good at it because God's gifted them. Pastor, teacher, uh, this is one gift in view here with two different aspects. There's a shepherd part. Pastor equals shepherd. If you can just do that in your mind, whenever you see the word pastor, um, It equals shepherd. So shepherd the flock of God. And then also there is an aspect of teaching because the gift involves the ability to teach. He guides and shepherds through his teaching. Okay. That says through his teaching. That is teaching. Related terms are elder. Denotes the dignity of the office. Overseer. Denotes the work of the elder. Overseer involves the administration. Uh, Teacher. Is number nine here. A pastor must be a teacher, but a teacher may not necessarily be a pastor. Okay, that's your blank. A pastor must be a teacher, but a teacher may not necessarily be a pastor. The gift is clearly evidenced in a man who has the ability to take profound biblical and theological truths and communicate them in a lucid, or that's a clear way, so ordinary people can readily grasp them. Teaching takes time and development. You're not going to come out of the womb teaching. Okay, one minute. Service, helps, these are related. Faith, uh, examples of faith are Stephen, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor. And I put in your note there for William Carey, I loved his quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's faith, man. Exhortation, to come alongside, to encourage. Discerning of spirits, I left a big quote there. We talked about that a little bit during the quiz. Showing mercy. 
showing mercy, to have compassion. Giving, giving should be done with liberality, that was an open hand, and uh, administration, or to, re- to lead or to rule carefully. To administration means to um, steer the ship, is one of the cognates of that word there. Last two are wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is foundational for teaching. That's your last blank. We're not going to be able to do the filling of the Spirit um, today, uh, but I'd like to do that next week. Remember, we are meeting next week, and then in two weeks, it is Thanksgiving break. So we hope you have a blessed Thanksgiving break. But um, thank you for your good attention. And we'll be talking about soteriology next, which is the doctrine of salvation. Your, I think your, your uh, project's a little bit easier for a salvation thing. It's more of a narrative. I want you to, or not a narrative, but look at your instructions. It's for explaining how you would lead someone to Christ what verses you would use and what you would uh, say to them. Uh, something like, uh, I said avoid narrative. So don't tell me a story. Don't say I was walking down the street and there was a guy there with a, his hand out asking for money and I said, silver and gold have I none. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna say, I've, I've heard this before. Can I just quote scripture for a little thing? <laughs> what do you think? Yes. I, I don't. Scripture is perfect, so. It's, it's um, I, I don't think you want to do that. I think you want to be. I, I mean, you can quote a lot of scripture, but I want you to be more like, give me how you would actually present the gospel to someone. And, and uh, yes, ma'am. Does it matter the age of the, of the person because oh. like, when I'm talking to a kid is what I'm more familiar with? I feel like it might be slightly different. If you would like to just indicate at the beginning of your paper the kind of person you're talking to, that might help me understand what you're doing. That's a great idea. It would be a different discussion, right? If you had a conversation with a college professor versus a seven-year-old, it would be completely different, right? Or just... Do it at the okay. conclusion and like spring it on the reader. Oh, well, this was actually a seven year old. Whoa! <laughs> My mind is blown. <laughs> it's like all those like twist ending movies. Like I totally see everything different now. All right. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Have a good day.